0: Hello and welcome to Haunted Hometowns, your bi-weekly true crime paranormal podcast with me, Blake Lambert-Hack. This week, we are doing something a little different on Haunted Hometowns. I will not be telling you a story about ghosts. You know, paranormal does fall, is an umbrella term. A lot of things fall under the term paranormal, such as aliens, aliens. But we're not talking about aliens as well. This week, we are talking about cryptids. But I'll get into that in a little bit. This is the episode that will be released before Halloween. So if you have any Halloween plans, please stay safe. Get spooky. Eat candy. Drink up. I will be at a huge party in Brooklyn on Saturday so if you're free go search at the party's called slash her not slasher but a play on words slash her there will be uh, drag performances and a myriad of hosts and uh, DJs and just an overall great vibe so if you're free Come through. I'm. I don't remember what hotel it's at. Maybe the Market Hotels. I'm not. I'm not positive. But go check it out online slash her Saturday October twenty eighth. I believe I will be there. I. You can come catch me in my Halloween costume. I'll be. I've been making it all week, so I'm very excited. And if you're elsewhere in the world, have fun wherever you are. Put on a fun costume, dance the night away, dance the weekend away because Halloween lands on a weird day this week. So go party the weekend before and uh, get spooky and watch Halloween movies, not just horror movies. Horror movies is a year long thing. Halloween movies is a seasonal thing. So go see, go watch Practical Magic. Go watch Halloween Town, Hocus Pocus. Like, there's a lot of Halloween movies or autumn movies they should be watching. Because sooner than later, Christmas, winter, all that shit's going to be right around the corner. So my favorite Halloween horror film, besides the movie Halloween, is Trick or Treat. What a great, fun horror movie that is set on Halloween. But... Haunted Mansion, the new one just came out. Go watch that. That's a fun little Halloween movie. Uh, yeah, it doesn't have to be scary. But go watch it. The new Goosebumps is out. That's really been... That's been fun, honestly. it's I've been enjoying that. But we're going to jump into the story now because I'm very excited to talk about cryptids and, uh, well, blue holes. <laughs> if you don't know what a blue hole is, that is perfectly fine, because I had no clue what blue holes were before doing this research. So it was a little fun research moment for me as well. But there are many, there are many, many, many blue holes in the world. There's the Great Blue Hole off the coast of Belize, which I believe is the largest blue hole. There's Malta's Blue Hole in the Mediterranean, There's the Red Sea Blue Hole off the coast of Egypt. There's Dragon Hole, which is a blue hole, in the South China Sea, which is the deepest blue hole at 987 feet. There's Tam Ya Blue Hole off the Yucatan Peninsula, which is the most recent discovered blue hole and the second deepest. It was discovered in 2021. So, you know, we're still finding them out there. There are four blue holes of Palau. There's the Santa Rosa blue hole in a New Mexican lake in the United States. There's the Bahamas, which the Bahamas has over 200 blue holes, which is excessive if you ask me. Nobody needs that many blue holes. But the most popular blue holes in the Bahamas, there's Dean's blue hole. (laughs) there. <laughs> I hate Dean's blue hole. You know what? It's better than, you know, I'm not going to go there. Uh, there's Watling's blue hole, Nancy's blue hole. I don't, again, there are probably people who discovered these holes, but why are we naming them after people? There's Magical Blue Hole. That's a name I can get behind. Magical Blue Hole. Sounds mysterious. There's Sawmill Sink, another fun name. Guardian Blue Hole, Captain Bill's Blue Hole, etc. The list goes on. Again, there's over 200 Blue Holes in the Bahamas. So what are Blue Holes? Blue Holes were created at least 300,000 years ago when ice caps expanded and sea levels dropped during the Ice Age. So at this point, the sea levels were over 400 feet lower than they are today. So... Let's take the Bahamas as an example. The Bahamas back then, the land the landmass of the Bahamas sat very high. So now we think of the Bahamas being like sea level or just above sea level, but 400 feet lower, the oceans were, you know, the Bahamas probably looked like mountains. Over time, rain began to tear away at the cliffs of the limestone that created the Bahamas, so it would, the rain would create little caverns in the sides of these mountains. So when the sea levels, or, before I keep going, or the rain would fall into caves and would eat away inside the caves, making the caves bigger. Uh, and then over time, sea levels would rise and the holes would be filled up creating underwater caves. Does that make sense? So today you can go spelunking in caves that are in mountains or in, you know, valleys that aren't necessarily filled with water. You know, I have explored a cave before. I would never go spelunking. I want to make that clear right now. You will never catch me squeezing my ass, my fat ass through tiny crevices in a cave. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I would not say I'm claustrophobic, but I do have claustrophobic tendencies. I'd say more so like when I can't move. So if I'm pinned down, or if I'm in a space where I can't move any body part, I would freak out. Now if I'm in like a small spot, but I still have like control over my limbs and stuff and I can get in and out easily and stuff, that's fine. But no, I would have a panic attack. I would literally just sit there and just pray for my death. I could not do that. So this is already terrifying for me, this story. Um, I'm sorry if it, it, I will be telling a couple stories. So trigger warning, I guess or people who are claustrophobic, or there's a fear of the sea, I believe, or something like that. So just get ready. But yeah, the these uh, blue holes, underwater caves, they used to be above water, but now they're underwater. And the lowest parts of these blue holes don't have any oxygen and are filled with salt water, while the tops of the blue holes have fresh water. Because remember, the holes filled after the sea levels rised, but the tops have fresh water from all the rainfall. So at the very bottom, very 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 bottom, there's no oxygen, and without oxygen, bones and other things of the past are preserved. The Blue Hole in the Red Sea has seen over 200 human deaths, mainly cave divers, and there isn't really any reason as to why there are so many deaths. Now, I'll talk about how some of these people died and how they died makes sense, but why there are so many deaths... In that one area compared to other parts of the sea, ocean, lakes, rivers, etc. Scientists aren't really sure. Historians aren't really sure. So yes, blue holes are essentially just underwater caves. They can be in the ocean. They can be inland. More like a lake. Uh, They're all over the place. Now, cave diving no matter the cave, is one of the most dangerous activities for many reasons. One major reason as why cave divers can, uh, or why cave diving is so dangerous, because a lot of these times these cave divers have never been in these caves before. They're exploring these caves to map these caves. And so when you're in a cave, especially underwater, which makes it harder to see and Feel where you are, you have to be careful about how much oxygen you have left, how much you know, gas you have left in your tanks overall, because you also have to be able to make pit stops on your way to the surface. You can't just be like, you know what? I've had my fill of diving today. Let me head back up to the ship. Sometimes it will take you three hours to get back to the ship. Anyway, we'll get. I'll talk more about that later. Secondly. Cave diving, like spelunking, you're exploring in very tight locations. So in cave diving, you're squeezing between rocks that if you make the wrong move, the rocks may fall on top of you. It doesn't help that the deeper you dive, the less light is available to you. And it's also incredibly easy to get turned around when you're in a new location like that, something I was talking about especially when you have a mask on, you have tanks on which make you bulkier and wider. Uh, You're swimming in like 360 degrees, you know. There's no bottom floor most of the time or, you know, it's just different than what we're all used to walking around with gravity and such. That's why usually they dive with a rope or line that uh, gets them back the way they came. And you're exploring, so you also have no idea what you're going to encounter in the depths of the ocean or sea or blue hole. Maybe a shark, maybe an octopus, maybe jellyfish. I follow this fitness influencer on Instagram and he was stung by a jellyfish and the scar is bad. So you don't really know what you're going to encounter down there. So you got to be kind of prepared for anything and always on, you know, the tips of your toes, ready for whatever may swim your way. But we're still discovering animals that live at the bottom of our oceans and blue holes. I was watching a documentary about a team in the Bahamas who are trying to discover why there aren't many species of animals that live on the Bahamas which I thought was interesting. They were, uh, the scientists were interested to know if these blue holes had preserved any bones from animals that once lived on the islands. So two divers went down the first blue hole. I don't think they told us which blue hole it was, but they, uh, had some rocks crumble above them. But after they, dealt with that, and they were able to clear the debris debris and uh, see again. You know, that's the other problem, is that not only is it dark as fuck down there, when rocks crumble or you hit the wrong thing, a lot of sediment comes up. So then you're also trying to, like, wade through dust. It's even harder to see. But once they did all that, they discovered some bones. The bones, however, were inside a scuba suit. They discovered what looked like a cave diver from the 70s who died inside one of the blue holes and his entire skeleton was still intact. These, within this same expedition, these divers dove in another blue hole in the Bahamas and the third blue hole, they found more human skulls after studying these human skulls, they discovered that the human skulls were from 800 years ago. 800 years ago. I'm going to quickly move to the Red Sea Blue Hole since it is reported to have the most diving deaths in the world. Right off the shore, there was something called the saddle. I have no idea why it's called the saddle. It's only 20 feet deep. Uh, For perspective, an Olympic pool, wish the Olympics are coming up, but I'm very, very, very exciting. I just watched the gymnastics worlds and Simone fucking Biles, what a goddess, kicked ass, looked stunning, super sweet. I'm obsessed with her, but I can't wait for the Olympics. Anyways, Olympic pools are 10 feet deep. The saddle of the Red Sea Blue Hole, right when you first get in, is 20 feet deep. So it's not that bad. You know, we're all used to swimming pools in the United States. Swimming pools are, I don't know, like, I think average 8 feet deep. Some being less than that, 5 feet deep. But overall, 20 feet deep isn't that bad. If you go out a bit farther, it gets deeper, and there is a tunnel that's 85 feet long, and it's called the arch. Now, the tunnel itself is 181 feet wide, which is pretty wide. And at the end... Of the 85 feet long tunnel, the bottom drops out to the Red Sea to 3,300 feet deep, which is crazy. There's tons of coral and reef fish living in the Red Sea blue hole. And the natives of the area always avoided the blue hole But in 1968, when Israel owned the land next to the blue hole, they were the first to dive and discover the arch. Since then, it's been extremely popular worldwide and is dived almost every day. The land is back in the hands of Egypt, who stations a police officer. To make sure everyone is diving with a certified guide since there are so many deaths. Now, it doesn't always happen, you know. There's of course competitors who, if you are a rando who's like, I want to dive the blue hole, that sounds fun. You have to be like, You have to go through certain certifications. And there's a lot of diving certifications. I had no idea until my brother started his diving certifications. Certifications. I'm getting tongue-tied over that word. Uh, My brother has his minor. He has a major in zoology and a minor in diving. Scuba diving. And I always tell him, he currently works with dolphins and Pinnipeds. But I always tell him that, okay, you can be a zoologist, and he is, but you can be a zoologist, and I'll be the cryptozoologist. So you deal with real animals, I will deal with mysterious, maybe not so real animals. Though, again, I'm going to talk about more cryptids later on in this episode. But anyway, a lot of people who have never really scuba dived, or if they have scuba dived like done it once or whatever, will go and a lot of people will, like instructors or guides, will not really double check to see if they have the certification because they want to make money. And so it's a lot of controversy and stuff like that. And that might be one of the reasons why there are so many deaths in the Red Sea Blue Hole, but. There is an officer there that's supposed to, you know, make sure everybody's doing what's right. Most deaths happening within the Red Sea Blue Hole happen within the arch. Uh, The issue being, the arch sits at 170 feet deep. So remember, the saddle of the Blue Hole is only 20 feet deep, and if you go a little farther out, it's 170 feet deep, and that's where the arch is. It's like deeper than that, but that's where the arch starts. 170 feet deep in the blue hole. Which is just deep enough to be annoying, but not deep enough to be impossible. So to swim through the arch, you need more than one tank of gas. And you have to plan carefully for the depth and the length of the arch. Because even for professional divers, it's a tricky dive. It is a challenging dive for professionals, especially to do it on one tank of gas. So here are some theories as to why there are so many deaths in the Red Sea Blue Hole. Theory one, the Red Sea Blue Hole is so popular that, again, inexperienced divers try to swim the Blue Hole, even if they don't have the training or experience. Theory two, because it's the Red Sea and not the ocean, it seems like the dive would be relatively easy. And since there aren't really like intense waves or other obstructions, it seems easier than it is. So the blue hole is misleading, uh, misleading on how difficult the dive will be. Theory three, the arch that I keep talking about is kind of hard to find in an open blue abyss, (laughs) abyss, abyss. Yeah, when you're underwater and it's just open water and open sea, it's kind of hard to tell what direction you're swimming or where everything is. So many people who dive in the Red Sea Blue Hole will swim deeper and deeper and deeper, and swim past the opening of the arch, which is where, what they're looking for and what they're trying to swim to. And they'll lose track of how deep they are diving, since there isn't really a visual depth reference. When you can't see the bottom of your swimming pool, you don't really know how deep it is or how deep you're swimming. People also misjudge the arch. So let's say you do find the arch and you're swimming inside. When inside, it appears that the tunnel is half the length it actually is because of the clarity of the water and the light at the end of the tunnel, which is ironic. But also there's an inward flow from the sea, so it'll take you even longer to swim the length of the tunnel which means you're using more gas to get to the end of the tunnel. So it's very deceptive. You're like, it's, for a professional or for people who know what they're doing, you may go up to the tunnel and be like, oh, you know, it's, or before you even dive it, you're like, okay, so the arch is, the tunnel is 85 feet long. I can swim 85 feet on one tank of gas. That seems normal. But then you're down there and you're like, oh, I missed the arch the the opening of the arch, let me swim back. So then you're wasting time doing that. And then once you get to the arch, you're looking through the arch and you're like, oh, that's really close. 85 feet is nothing. I can still do that on this one tank of gas. And then you're swimming it and you're like swimming against the current. So you're using more energy and you're using more gas and it's taking you longer. And then it's just becomes a hot mess quickly. And then as I mentioned earlier, decompression stops causes a problem with many people, especially if they misjudged other aspects of the dive. So let's say you're in the tunnel and you're like, wow, actually, I'm really low on gas. This was harder than I expected. Let me pop back up to the surface. But oh, wait, I have to make decompression stops on the way up. Otherwise, I will get the bends, which could be a really serious medical problem. And speaking of the bends, there's also nitrogen narcosis, which causes confusion when you're underwater. And when you get confused and delirious underwater, I mean, when you get confused and delirious above water, it's terrifying, let alone underwater when you're also worried about having to breathe and where you are. And that usually leads to other issues like getting lost, not decompressing on your way up, etc. And again, I'll tell stories where all of this really makes sense, or like I'll use it in a more context soon. But yeah, the gases and the lack of oxygen and whatever can cause nitrogen, narcosis, which can cause you to be confused underwater, which is so scary. And then again, diving on a single tank. Divers have achieved it, but it's very close to the minimum amount of oxygen needed. So only highly trained, low gas consuming and relaxed divers should attempt diving the Red Sea Blue Hole on one tank of gas. So that means you need to know what the fuck you're doing to be relaxed and then know what the fuck you're doing to use the least amount of gas so you don't fucking die. So if you're listening to this, don't try this on your anniversary. Don't try this on your birthday vacation, you know, unless you know what the fuck you're doing. Now, the most infamous death in the Red Sea Blue Hole is of Yuri Lipsky, who died in 2000 at 22 years old. He was a diving instructor, so he knew what the fuck he was doing. And on April 28th, he dove the blue hole with a single tank and a camera. The reason this death is so well known is because he videotaped his own death. And you can watch him have an uncontrolled descent, which leads him to the seafloor where he panics rightfully so. At those depths, he would have suffered from severe nitrogen narcosis, which may have impaired his judgment and induced hallucinations. So the video is on YouTube. You can watch the video from start to finish, from when he dives to when he dies. Uh, There's also videos of people narrating what's happening so if you're not fully like when I watched it originally it's not very clear what's happening so it might be helpful to watch if you're going to watch it watch it with a narrator who is a diver who can walk you through what's happening and why it happened but at the request of Erie's mom expert diver Tarek Omar dove and recovered Erie's body Tarek is tasked with recovering most of the people who die in the Red Sea Blue Hole. He's recovered so many people that he's lost count and can't remember most of their names, but he will never forget the first two people that he recovered, essentially. Martin Gara and Connor O'Regan. Originally from Ireland, the friends were diving around the world because they wanted to set up a travel business for divers, which I love that idea. I love the idea of, I want to go travel around the world and I have a passion for diving, so why not dive around the world? I think that's a great idea and a great experience for people who don't have the experience or do have the experience, then you can offer different packages of like chill dives to expert level dives. So I like that for them. And it is the late 90s, so I don't know if this idea has had really been around at this point. But Martin and Connor join a group of divers to check out the Red Sea Blue Hole. However, during the dive, they somehow get separated from the rest of the group and the two dove too deep for their gas mixture, causing them to lose consciousness. That led their regulators to fall out of their mouths and for them to fall to 213 feet deep. When the group realized they were short two divers, the guides dove back down, but they were too late. Connor and Martin had drowned. Now let's shift back to the Bahamas blue holes, because even though the Red Sea blue hole is claimed to have the most deaths, we don't actually know that for sure because there is no official record of every death in every blue hole. We're going to head to the Four Sharks blue hole, which sits on the southeast corner of the Bahamas. It's 1997 expert divers Rob Parker and Dan Maloney fall backward off their boats and into the Blue Hole, the Four Sharks Blue Hole. A German TV crew were making a documentary about blue holes and originally a man named Rob Palmer was to dive in the Bahamas, but he died four months earlier in the Red Sea Blue Hole. So Rob Parker took Rob Palmer's place on the dive team. I know it's a little confusing. Rob Palmer, Rob Parker. Rob Palmer died in the Red Sea, blue hole. Rob Parker is on the dive team in the Bahamas. Rob Palmer died in the Red Sea by sinking quickly. He suddenly began to sink really fast, And the team chased after Rob Palmer, but he was sinking at such a speed that at 300 feet deep, the team had to give up and return back to the service. And Rob Palmer was, his body was never found again. His body was never seen again. And couldn't be recovered because of how deep his body was. Rob Parker, on the other hand, chose to go against the TV crew's wishes and dove deeper than anyone had ever in the Four Sharks Blue Hole with his diving partner, Dan, Dan Malone. The two friends with two other divers dove into the Blue Hole and swam down to a trench opening where they stashed extra tanks for when they needed to ascend. You know, they have to make the compression stops, so they will stash oxygen tanks or certain gas mixture tanks at certain depths so on their way back they can switch out what gas mixture they're breathing. Dan and Rob entered the trench, leaving the other two to wait in case of an emergency. Rob and Dan swam the trench, having to squeeze through sections that were as small as two feet wide. And I told you, you would never catch me doing that above water, let alone hundreds of feet deep. No, ma'am. And normally, you see scuba divers with their tanks on their backs, but because this is cave, cave, diving, not open water diving. These people switch their tanks, not all the times, but they will sometimes switch their tank from on their back to on their side so that they're more narrow, like skinny. It might be wider, but they're skinny, like flatter. Eventually the two made it to the opening where no one had ever been. And it was essentially just a massive abyss like the trench leads to just open water, kind of. Dan and Rob flashed their lights around and could see nothing but water. They only had two minutes to explore before returning. So they tried to find the bottom of this massive abyss, but as they got deeper, it seemed to go on forever. After 20 minutes, they had to turn back without knowing how deep the four sharks blue hole went, And on their way back to the trench, Dan's gas tank malfunctioned, making him have to switch to his other tank that was not meant for how deep they were. I believe he had to switch to a tank that was purely oxygen, which isn't really healthy for how deep they were swimming. After a couple breaths, he began to feel the narcosis, Dan tried to stay calm, and he told Rob what was happening. I mean, didn't tell him with his words, but you know, he tried to use hand signals to convey what was happening underwater. And the two made it back to the opening of the trench. However, when Dan turned around to tell Rob he was going to go first through the trench, because again, it's only two feet wide rob was sinking to the bottom of the abyss dan quickly swam down and grabbed rob's unconscious body and dan was able to drag him back to the trench opening however it would be impossible for dan to drag rob through the trench since again it's only two feet wide it cannot fit two people next to each other and this person's unconscious, so you're trying, trying not to bump into rocks and you don't want a cave collapse, you don't want any of that. Luckily, Rob gained consciousness and the two were able to start swimming the trench back. Dan went first because, again, his tank wasn't working, so he needed to get there first to get to the tank they stashed. Rob was right behind him. They started through the trench, the little cave. Dan made it out the other side and immediately attached his regulator to the backup tanks waiting for them. And after taking a couple breaths off the new gas, Dan turned to give Rob his backup gas. But the moment Dan turned around, Rob was nowhere to be found. The problem is Dan couldn't go back into the trench because he had already began breathing the new mixture of gas that was higher in oxygen. So the backup diver closest also couldn't get through the trench because he was too fucking tall to be able to fit in the trench. So I'm like, why do you have giants swimming in you when you know you're cave diving? You know what I mean? Like... Isn't this supposed to be an emergency backup swimmer? And if so, don't you think the emergency backup swimmer should be able to swim in the places that they're supposed to be emergency backup swimming in? I don't know. It's just my take, my hot take. But essentially, Dan was worried about losing another diver instead of just one. So he made the tough decision to head to the surface without Rob. A journey that took three hours since they have Since they dived so deep to decompress, it took them three hours to get back to the surface of this blue hole. Now imagine leaving your diving partner and probably best friend stuck in a cave underwater at hundreds of feet deep. And you're for three hours, you're just sitting there wondering if you'll ever see them again and contemplating the choice that you had to make. Horrific. Horrific. Two days after that dive, a recovery team found Rob's body in the trench in a space less than two feet wide. So, no one really knows what exactly happened to Rob. They don't know if his tank malfunctioned, just like Dan's malfunctioned. They don't know if he got hit by something and was unconscious and then drowned. Nobody really knows what happened to Rob, but he died in the trench of the Blue Hole. And there are many stories like these, but there's a specific story of teens diving in Dean's Blue Hole, again, one of Bahamas' Blue Holes. Everything was going well. They had a nice little dive, nothing crazy challenging. But when the teens headed back to the surface of Dean's Blue Hole, they realized that one of their diving partners was missing, never to be seen again. Officials launched a rescue mission, but the body was never found. And from the perspective of all the divers, the missing teen had been right behind all the other people. So, all the teens were confused as to how one could be just suddenly gone without any notice, no sound, no nothing, and no body was ever discovered. So, it's really confused officials, it's confused the people that were there that day. It's just one of life's mysteries. Though, one expert diver has a theory. And we'll jump into that right after this quick break. are back to discuss something I mentioned earlier. There's definitely sea life in blue holes, usually just some reef fish, some coral, some anemone. However, as I mentioned, the deeper you go into these blue holes, the less oxygen there is which means no sea life, because no creature can live without oxygen. However, in some blue holes, there have been reports of bull sharks, reef sharks, hammerhead sharks, etc., using the blue holes and occasionally attacking divers in the blue holes, Now, with that being said, you may be thinking, well, did a shark attack the teen? And that's who went missing because he was eaten by a shark. The way the teen went missing that day doesn't make any sense with a shark attack because no one reported seeing a shark in the blue hole, meaning there was no fin, there was no teeth, there was no movement of water. That was out of the ordinary. There was just no reported sighting of sharks. But also, after the attack, if a shark had attacked, you would see blood in the water, you might see a limb. You, there, there would just be signs of a shark attack, and there wasn't. This person just completely vanished. So the theory, or not the theory, but the question still remains, what could have happened to the teen? If the teen was grabbed, what was it grabbed by? And not just the teen in the Bahamas, but could have a creature grabbed Rob Palmer in the Red Sea Blue Hole, which would cause him to sink at a speed no one could reach without any explanation. Because this has, like, I've read a few stories of people just sinking without any explanation. And people couldn't catch up. So, many believe that there is a creature living in blue holes. Not every blue hole, but possibly... The Bahamas, or maybe several of the Bahama Blue Holes are connected with underground or underwater tunnels, and a sea creature known as the Lusca lives in the Blue Holes and travels between Blue Holes. Specifically, it's thought that the Lusca lives in Blue Hole's nearby Andros, an island of the Bahamas. Now the name Lusca comes from Mollusca, which is a phylum of invertebrate animals, including squids, octopus, cuttlefish, etc. The Lusca is a cryptid described as a giant octopus, 75 feet long. And if you look the Luska up, like if you Google Lusca, many describe it as half shark, half octopus, which would definitely put it in the land of cryptids. Though most historians and scientists who believe in the Lusca, don't think it's half shark, meaning A lot of the pictures you'll see is the face of a shark with tentacles or arms behind it instead of a tail. And I do believe there's a movie with the shark like that. (laughs) Like, not the Meg, but like that kind of movie. But again, a lot of historians and cryptozoologists and scientists... If they do believe in the Luska, they believe it's just a giant octopus, a 70-foot-long octopus. Now, you may be asking, what the fuck is a cryptid? And a cryptid is an animal that is claimed to exist, but has never been proven to exist. Now, you all have heard of cryptids, because there are some very popular Creatures known as dragons. Werewolves. Kraken. Unicorns. Mermaids. Bigfoot. The Loch Ness Monster. Mothman. The Yeti. The Chupacabra. The Mongolian Death Worm. Thunderbirds. Etc. You get the gist. Those are all very popular cryptids. I'm sure you've heard of at least at least three of those. My favorites being dragons, mermaids, or sirens. I love a siren. I love the idea of a mer-creature singing to sailors to their deaths. I love the idea of that. I definitely believe in cryptids. However, I don't believe in every cryptid ever to exist. But I do believe in cryptids. And I say that because there have been cryptids in the past that are now proven animals. So for example, the craziest to me is that gorillas used to be thought as cryptids. People used to think gorillas were fake. The first proven account of a gorilla wasn't until 1847. 1847 was the first proof that a gorilla existed. Now we see gorillas at zoos all the fucking time. 1847 was the first one. And it wasn't until 1902 until we saw the first mountain gorilla. That's not that long ago. Another example is a kangaroo. A kangaroo wasn't discovered until 1770. They, th- their description of a kangaroo before then, as a cryptid, was like, oh, kangaroos can't be real. A fox head with human hands, a monkey tail, and a bag where its young is kept, That's fake. Come to find out, they are fucking real. And we see them all the fucking time. Another example is a giant squid. Now, this one's a little gaggy. We all know what a squid is, I hope. A giant squid. The first photo of a giant squid in its natural habitat was in 2004. Two thousand and four. So before then, they, have, they had seen a giant squid, like, wash up, like a dead one, wash up on shore. Or they would see a dead one floating in the sea next to a boat or something. But no one had ever seen a living giant squid in its natural habitat until 2004. So people thought it wasn't real. People thought, oh, it's dead. It must have been some other animal or, you know, this is fake. It's not real or whatever the case may be. But again, 2004, first photo. Another example, the Komodo dragon. And this one, I don't blame anybody because a Komodo dragon its terrifying. Those things are huge. They're cool. They're really cool. But I just watched a video of one eats some big mammal alive, whole. Like, it just swallowed, gulped it up. Komodo dragons are scary, but... 1926, it officially left the cryptid list after the second official examination. So, Komodo dragons were considered cryptids, giant lizards, or they were probably called dragons. Uh, they were taken off the list in 1926, Less than 100 years ago, there's the Okapi was taken off the list in 1901, and the Okapi is an interesting animal. I think they're really fun. They, you know, have striped back legs like a zebra, but they're brown. And they live in dense forests, which is why it was really hard to catch them on film. Because A, they blend in with their surroundings, but also they live deep in forests. So to get there, to be able to catch them on film in their natural habitat, was challenging. The first Okapi wasn't caught on film in the wild until 2008. 2008! Like, I was in eighth grade. That's wild. Uh, Probably my favorite on this list, the platypus. I fucking love platypi. They're so cute. They're furry mammals that lay eggs. They're venomous with webbed feet, a beaver tail, and a bird beak. No wonder these animals were on the cryptid list. That is a fucked up animal. And I love every second of them. The platypus was taken off the cryptid list in 1800. So not as recent, you know, as some of these others, but 1800s was again, still not that long ago, but platypi, furry mammals that lay eggs, that does sound like a cryptid. And then the last on, there's more, but the last on this list that I was interested in was a Bondagezu, also known as a Dingaso, I believe is how you pronounce it. A Dingaso was first filmed in 2009 after 11 days of searching for one. So these people heard about this creature, Dingaso, look it up. And, again, thought to be a cryptid, they're like, no way this creature exists. There's no way. And these people are like, you know what? We're going to look for it. We're going to take a photo of it. And we're going to prove you wrong. And it took them 11 days to find this. Now, Dingusou, I mean, look it up. It's really fucking cute. But it looks like... I don't know, it's like a, almost like a lemur, but looks a little more like bear-like, but it's got a long tail. They're really cute. So I'm just saying, you all may laugh at cryptids, you all may think cryptids aren't real, or think Bear, Bigfoot isn't real, or whatever the case may be, but you never know when one of these cryptids will become a proven animal, Right? So, some cryptids that could one day be proven, there's the Beast of Exmoor, uh, which is in England, and it's claimed to be a cat. There's the Beast of Bodmin, Moor, which is also in England, also thought to be a cat. So those are probably the most, those will probably be proven sooner than later to be big cats living in England, but, you know, England doesn't have big cats, so how the fuck do they get there? There's the Basan, I believe is how you pronounce it, which is a fire-breathing chicken in Japan, (laughs) which is really funny, but maybe there is a chicken that, you know, maybe it eats something and its breath looks like it breathes fire, and it's just a different species of chicken. Who's to say? There's the Tsuchinoko, which is also in Japan, thought to be a snake, some type of snake. There's the Buru, which is supposed to be something like a crocodile living in India. There's the Ahul, thought to be a bat living in Indonesia. And let me quickly talk about bats. Bats are, I think bats are really cute and fascinating. Bats are really cute. But certain bats are huge huge. The largest bat in the world is a giant golden crowned flying fox. Its wingspan averages more than five feet long. A bat that's five feet long, as big as a human. I'm sure that thing was thought to be a cryptid at one point too, and they're like, holy shit, it's real. We got a fucking bat that's as big as my mother. Anyway, moving on. There's the Ibu gogo. thought to be a, you know, human species living in Indonesia. There's the Ozark Howler in Arkansas, thought to be some kind of bear. There's the Stellar's Sea Ape, now this is a fun one because the Stellar Sea Ape was first thought to be a sea mammal or a mermaid type creature in Alaska. But now, after discovering other animals on this planet, historians and scientists believe that what the people said they saw, Stellar Sea Ape, was probably just a fur seal. And that's why I mean like cryptids could be real because just because you don't know what the animal is doesn't mean it's not a real animal. But all all of this, all I'm trying to say is that, look, I believe in cryptids in the sense that I believe that cryptids could once be proven to be real animals. I don't think any cryptid, is an, you shouldn't think of cryptids as being immediately not real. Just because somebody doesn't know what a creature is doesn't mean it's not real. We're constantly discovering animals. As of August 15th, 2023, we have a new snake from the Andes Mountains. So we're constantly discovering shit in this world. You never fucking know. So with that, we're going to take it back to the Luska, our octopus cryptid. Because most of the blue holes are generally unexplored, or I should say the depths of the blue holes are unexplored, a could potentially live in these blue holes and, like the Red Sea blue hole, could be connected to the ocean through tunnels, letting the giant octopus move in and out. Kind of think like uh, in Harry Potter, the basilisk, I think is how you pronounce that. Uh, the giant snake moving within the sewers or within the pipes of Hogwarts. Think like that, but a giant octopus in the ocean or in these blue holes. Also, we know octopi or octopus, I don't think they're octopi is technically real or like the word octopi is a real word, but we know an octopus is known for being able to squeeze through the smallest holes as well as camouflage their bodies. An octopus can fit through any hole as long as its beak can fit through the hole. Also think like that. An octopus has a beak. If back in the day you didn't know what an octopus was and someone was like, there's this jelly-like, creature with eight arms and a beak, you would be like, that's not real. That's not real. And the fact that it can squeeze through, you know, fucking holes as big as a quarter or which you can see footage of on YouTube. So if you don't believe me, go look that up. Uh, there's, they can also camouflage their bodies and not just the color, but the texture of their body as well, which also screams cryptid, but they've been seen using tools like shells, And they will mimic other animals, like walking on their legs, to mimic animals that walk on their legs. So again, I'm just saying, octopus are incredible creatures, incredibly intelligent, fascinating. The largest octopus on record is the giant Pacific octopus one such octopus was 30 feet long and weighed more than 600 pounds, which is huge. Next time you watch my 600-pound life, think of an octopus with eight arms, with eight arms sitting in a bed. Squids, on the other hand, have been documented as being quite large. The Three largest squids are the Dana octopus squid. The Dana octopus squid, the largest I think they found was 7.5 feet long, which doesn't sound that long after I just told you the giant Pacific octopus was 30 feet long. But uh, this is the third largest squid at 7.5 feet long, 356 pounds. There's the Atlantic giant squid, which the largest was recorded at forty three feet long, and six hundred and six pounds. And then there's the colossal squid, which the long the largest was, measured at thirty three feet long, and 1,090 one thousand and ninety pounds, one thousand and ninety pounds. Huge. Just fucking huge. No wonder it's called Colossal. They discover the giant squid, and then they discover the Colossal squid, and we're like, well, we can't call it the giant squid. We already have that, and this one's bigger. It's fucking crazy. Anyway, that's just the largest ever recorded as of 2007. Scientists predict that they can reach up to 1,500 pounds. The colossal squid's eyes alone are 12 to 16 inches wide. A fucking ruler. Their eyes are longer than a ruler. Now the Humboldt squid is the fifth largest squid. But more importantly, the humble squid is the most aggressive towards humans. Now, cephalopod attacks on humans have long been documented. I mentioned the kraken earlier. Think the kraken. Think Pirates of the Caribbean, the kraken. In the the 1800s, captains would journal about their experiences with the cephalopod grabbing men off their ship interacting their tentacles around the mast. It seems strange to fabricate something like that, but Captain Dens wrote that one of the creatures that attacked his ship had a tentacle get stuck in the rigging and cut off, and that one arm was 25 feet long. 25 feet long. There's a video online that shows an 8-foot Pacific octopus attacking a diver. And it just looks like the diver has something stuck to him that he can't shake off. However, I bet it was incredibly scary since the octopus suctions. Like, if the octopus suctions the right spot, it could really fuck with the diver's equipment. So I'm sure it was really scary because it was, like, stuck. I'm just throwing it out there that octopus can kill people. Anyway, there aren't many octopus-related attacks on humans, however, there are a decent amount of squid attacks recorded. These attacks are generally all the same. There's uh, sailors or fishermen working, and the sailor or fisherman or their boats are attacked by a giant squid. Usually the squid kills someone and or drags the boat underwater. Sometimes the squid loses an arm and these attacks date back to the 1700s. One story has an unknown squid attacking the USS Stein in the 1978, which is a United States destroyer. The rubber coating of of the destroyer was damaged with cuts, eventually revealing that colossal squids have arm hooks. Now, all squids have suckers on their tentacles and arms, but for a colossal squid, they have claws or hooks on their arms. And uh, so it's like their suckers are serrated on their tentacles. Humboldt squids are notorious for their aggression, earning them the nickname "red devil." And on Animal Planet, divers tell the story about one of their dives, being uh, one of their divers being alone in the water late at night, and being attacked by five to six Humboldt squids at once, and the five or six squids were trying to drag him down farther into the water. They dragged him to 135 to 140 feet deep when he was able to fight them off and swim back to the surface. But he had multiple wounds from the squids, including a dislocated shoulder. And there are several more stories like this. So I'm just throwing it out there as a possibility as to why so many people die in blue holes It's still a mystery why there are so many diver deaths in blue holes. Uh, And one of the theories is that a cryptid, a cryptid called the Lusca, which is a huge octopus, lives in the blue holes and feeds on whatever swims in the blue holes. I'm not saying a hundred percent that a cephalopod is living in blue holes, let alone a giant one called the Lusca, but I do think it's something to consider since we have so much to learn about blue holes themselves. And who's to say that a giant octopus isn't living at the depths of these blue holes? We haven't been to the depths of all the blue holes or most of the blue holes. Also, we're still discovering new sea creatures, and I didn't want to go into a full tangent because this episode is on the longer side, but there is a full video dedicated to giant creatures living in the depths of our ocean, and there's a lot of theories that go into why the deeper you go into the oceans, the larger the creatures get. So I'm just saying there weren't, you know, colossal squids exist. Who's to say there wasn't an even bigger squid like the kraken that once lived but is now extinct? Or who's to say there isn't an octopus that's 75 feet long that feeds on whatever they can? Octopi eat meat. So it could happen. We don't know. It's paranormal. It's unexplained. We don't know what's happening in these blue holes. We don't know. And if you ever find out, please email me at podcast at gmail.com because I would love to know. Love to know. And maybe in the future I will do another uh, cryptid episode because I do think cryptids are fascinating. But I'm kind of holding out on the fact that A giant octopus is out there somewhere. I've mentioned it before. We know more about space than we do our own oceans. So I think it could be real. I think it could be real. And with that, thank you so much for listening and joining me this week. Y'all can follow Haunted Hometowns for guest info, photos related to each episode, upcoming news, I will be posting my Halloween costume. So tune in just to see that. Email me your paranormal experiences to have them read on the podcast. Could be anything from Tony the Tiger talking to you from your cereal box to a rodent eating plant appearing in your garden after you plant mysterious seeds. Let me know. And... Enjoy your Halloween! I'll see you back here in a couple of weeks, cause everyone loves a ghost story. The music is by Tyre. Follow him on Instagram at QueerPopstar and go listen to his music anywhere. Streaming T-H-A-I-R. Go follow Pepe Munoz on Instagram at p.e.p.e.munoz, M-U-N-O-Z. Amazing, amazing artist who did the artwork for this podcast. I got my information from Wikipedia Nova, Scary Interesting, Museum of New Zealand, and Bonaget History.